Chapter 10, Part 2 of Tales from Sketches by Boz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Lazarus. Sketches by Boz by Charles Dickens. Illustrated by George Cruikshank. Chapter 10, Part 2 of Tales. The first coach has not come in yet, has it, Tom? inquired Mr. Gabriel Parsons, as he very complacently paced up and down the fourteen feet of gravel which bordered the lawn on the Saturday morning which had been fixed upon for the Beulah Spa jaunt. No, sir, I haven't seen it, replied a gardener in a blue apron, who let himself out to do the ornamental for half a crown a day and his keep. Time Tottle was down said Mr. Gabriel Parsons, ruminating. "'Oh, here he is, no doubt,' added Gabriel, as a cab drove rapidly up the hill, and he buttoned his dressing-gown and opened the gate to receive the expected visitor. The cab stopped, and out jumped a man in a coarse Petersham greatcoat, witty brown neckerchief, faded black suit, gamboge-coloured top-boots, and one of those large-crowned hats— formerly seldom met with, but now very generally patronised by gentlemen and costermongers. "'Mr. Parsons?' said the man, looking at the subscription of a note he held in his hand, and addressing Gabriel with an inquiring air. "'My name is Parsons,' responded the sugar-baker. "'I have brought this here note,' replied the individual, in the painted tops, in a hoarse whisper. "'I've brought this here note from a gentleman as come to our house this morning.' "'I expect the gentleman at my house,' said Parsons, as he broke the seal, which bore the impression of Her Majesty's profile, as it is seen on a sixpence. "'I've uh, no doubt the gentleman would have been here,' replied the stranger, "'if he hadn't happened to call at our house first. But we never trust no gentleman further, nor we can see him. No mistake about that there, added the unknown with a facetious grin. Beg your pardon, sir, no offence meant only once in, and I wish you may catch the idea, sir. Mr. Gabriel Parsons was not remarkable for catching anything suddenly but a cold. He therefore only bestowed a glance of profound astonishment on his mysterious companion, and proceeded to unfold the note of which he had been the bearer, once opened, and the idea was caught with very little difficulty. Mr. Watkins Tottle had been suddenly arrested, for thirty-three pounds, ten shillings, and fourpence, and dated his communication from a lock-up house in the vicinity of Chancery Lane. "'Unfortunate affair, this,' said Parsons, refolding the note. "'Or oh, nothing when you're used to it,' coolly observed the man in the Petersham. "'Tom!' exclaimed Parsons, after a few minutes' consideration. Uh, "'Just put the horse in, will you? Tell the gentleman that I shall be there almost as soon as you are,' he continued, addressing the sheriff officer's mercury. "'Very well,' replied the important functionary, adding in a confidential manner, "'I wise the gentleman's friends to settle. It's, it's a mere trifle, and unless the gentleman means to go up before the court, it's so. Oh, it's hardly worth while waiting for the detainers, you know. Our governor's wide awake, he is. I'll never say nothing again him, nor no man, but he knows what o'clock he does uncommon. 
Having delivered this eloquent and to Parsons particularly intelligible harangue, the meaning of which was eked out by divers nods and winks, the gentleman in the boots reseated himself in the cab, which went rapidly off, and was soon out of sight. Mr. Gabriel Parsons continued to pace up and down the pathway for some minutes, apparently absorbed in deep meditation. The result of his cogitation seemed to be perfectly satisfactory to himself, for he ran briskly into the house, said that business had suddenly summoned him to town, that he had desired the messenger to inform Mr. Watkins Tottle of the fact, and they would return together to dinner. He then hastily equipped himself for a drive, and, mounting his jig, was soon on his way to the establishment of Mr. Solomon Jacobs, situate, as Mr. Watkins Tottle had informed him, in a Cursitor Street, Chancery Lane. When a man is in a violent hurry to get on, and has a specific object in view, the attainment of which depends on the completion of the journey, the difficulties which interpose themselves in his way appear not only to be innumerable, but to have been called into existence especially for the occasion. The remark is by no means a new one, and Mr. Gabriel Parsons had practical and painful experience of its justice in the course of his drive. There are three classes of animated objects which prevent your driving with any degree of comfort or celerity through streets which are but little frequented. They are pigs, children, and old women. On this occasion we are describing, the pigs were luxuriating on cabbage stalks, and the shuttlecocks fluttered from the little deal battle doors and the children's played in the road, and women, with a basket in one hand and the street door key in the other, would cross just before the horse's head, until Mr. Gabriel Parsons was particularly savage with vexation, and quite hoarse with whoying and imprecating. Then, when he got into Fleet Street, there was a stoppage, in which people in vehicles have the satisfaction of remaining stationary for half an hour, and envying the slowest pedestrians, and where policemen rush about and seize hold of horses' bridles, and back them into shop windows by way of clearing the road, and preventing confusion. At length Mr. Gabriel Parsons turned into Chancery Lane, and having inquired for and been directed to Cursitor Street, for it was a locality of which he was quite ignorant, he soon found himself opposite the house of Mr. Solomon Jacobs. Confiding his horse and jig to the care of one of the fourteen boys who had followed him from the other side of Blackfriars Bridge, on the chance of his requiring their services, Mr. Gabriel Parsons crossed the road and knocked at an inner door, the upper part of which was glass grated like the windows of this inviting mansion with iron bars, painted white to look comfortable. The knock was answered by a sallow-faced, red-haired, sulky boy, who, after surveying Mr. Gabriel Parsons through the glass, applied a large key to an immense wooden excrescence, which was in reality a lock, but which, taken in conjunction with the iron nails with which the panels were studded, gave the door the appearance of being subject to warts. "'I want to see Mr. Watkins Tottle,' said Parsons. "'It's the gentleman that come in this morning, Jem,' screamed a voice from the top of the kitchen stairs, which belonged to a dirty woman, who had just brought her chin to a level with the passage floor. "'The gentleman's in the coffee-room upstairs, sir,' said the boy, just opening the door wide enough to let Parsons in without squeezing him, and double-locking it in the moment he had made his way through the aperture. 
first floor door on the left mr gabriel parsons thus instructed ascended the uncarpeted and ill-lighted staircase and after giving several subdued taps at the before-mentioned door on the left which were rendered inaudible by the hum of voices within the room and the hissing noise attendant on some frying operations which were carrying on below stairs turned the handle and entered the apartment being informed that the unfortunate object of his visit had just gone upstairs to write a letter, he had leisure to sit down and observe the scene before him. The room, which was a small confined den, was partitioned off into boxes, like the common room of some inferior eating-house. The dirty floor had evidently been as long a stranger to the scrubbing-brush as to carpet or floor-cloth, and the ceiling was completely blackened by the flare of the oil-lamp by which the room was lighted at night. The grey ashes on the edges of the tables and the cigar-ends, which were plentifully scattered around the dusty grate, fully accounted for the intolerable smell of tobacco which pervaded the place, and the empty glasses and half-saturated slices of lemon on the tables, together with the porter-pots beneath them, both bore testimony to the frequent libations in which the individuals who honoured Mr. Solomon Jacobs by a temporary residence in his house indulged. Over the mantel-shelf was a paltry-looking glass, extending about half the width of the chimney-piece, but by way of counterpoise the ashes were confined by a rusty fender about twice as long as the hearth. From this cheerful room itself, the attention of Mr. Gabriel Parsons was naturally directed to its inmates. In one of the boxes two men were playing at cribbage with a very dirty pack of cards, some with blue, some with green, and some with red backs, selections from decayed packs. The cribbage board had been long ago formed on the table by some ingenious visitor, with the assistance of a pocket-knife and a two-pronged fork with which the necessary number of holes had been made in the table at proper distances for the reception of the wooden pegs. In another box a stout, hearty-looking man of about forty was eating some dinner, which his wife, an equally comfortable-looking personage, had brought him in a basket. And in a third a genteel-looking young man was talking earnestly, and in a low tone to a young female whose face was concealed by a thick veil, but whom Mr. Gabriel Parsons immediately set down on his own mind as the debtor's wife. A young fellow of vulgar manners, dressed in the very extreme of the prevailing fashion, was pacing up and down the room with a lighted cigar in his mouth, and his hands in his pockets, ever and anon puffing forth volumes of smoke, and occasionally applying with much apparent relish to a pint-pot the contents of which were chilling on the hob. Fourpence more, by gum!' explained one of the cribbage players, lighting a pipe, and addressing his adversary at the close of the game. "'One would think you got luck in a pepper cruet, and shook it out when you wanted it.' "'Well, that ain't a bad un,' replied the other, who was a horse-dealer from Islington. "'No, I'm blessed if it is,' interposed the jolly-looking fellow, who, having finished his dinner, was drinking out of the same glass as his wife, in truly conjugal harmony, some hot gin and water. The faithful partner of his cares had brought a plentiful supply of the anti-temperance fluid in a large flat-stone bottle, which looked like a half-gallon jar that had been successfully tapped for the dropsy. "'You're a rum chap, you are, Mr. Walker. Would you uh, dip your beak into this, sir?' Oh, "'Thank ye,' 
replied Mr. Walker, leaving his box, and advancing to the other to accept the proffered glass. "'Here's your ale, sir, and your good omens here. Gentlemen all, yours and better luck still. Well, Mr. Willis,' continued the facetious prisoner, addressing the young man with a cigar, "'you seem rather uh, down to-day, flawed as one might say. Uh, what's the matter, sir? Never say die, you know.' "'Ah, oh, I'm all right.' replied the smoker. I shall be bailed out to-morrow. Shall you now? inquired the other. Damn, I wish I could say the same. I'm as regularly overhead and ears as the Royal George, and stand about as much chance of being bailed out. <laughs> Why, said the young man, stopping short and speaking in a very loud key, look at me. What do you think I've stopped here for two days for? "'Cause you couldn't get out, I suppose,' interrupted Mr. Walker, winking to the company. "'Not that you're exactly obliged to stop here, only you can't help it. No compulsion, you know, only you must, eh?' "'Ain't he a rummin?' inquired the delighted individual who had offered the gin and water of his wife. "'Oh, he just is,' replied the lady, who was quite overcome by these flashes of imagination. "'Why, my case,' frowned the victim.' throwing the end of his cigar into the fire, and illustrating his argument by knocking the bottom of the pot on the table at intervals. "'My case is a very singular one. My father's a man of large property, and I am his son.' "'Well, that's a very strange circumstance,' interrupted the jocose Mr. Walker, en passant. "'I am his son, and have received a liberal education. I don't owe no man nothing.' not the value of a farthing, but I was induced, you see, to put my name on some bills for a friend, bills to a large amount, I may say, a very large amount, for which I didn't receive no consideration. Well, what's the consequence? Why, I suppose the bills went out and you came in. The acceptances weren't taken up, and you were, eh? inquired Walker. To be sure, replied the liberally educated young gentleman, to be sure. And so here I am, locked up for a matter of twelve hundred pounds. Why, uh, don't you ask your old governor to stump up? inquired Walker, with a somewhat sceptical air. Oh, bless you, he'd never do it, replied the other in a tone of expostulation. Never! Well, it is very odd, to be sure, interposed the owner of the flat bottle, mixing another glass. "'But I've been in difficulties, as one may say, now for thirty years. "'I went to pieces when I was a milk-walk thirty years ago, "'afterwards when I was a fruiterer, and kept a spring-wan, "'and after that again in the coal and tater line. "'But all that time I never see a youngish chap "'came into a place of this kind who wasn't going out again directly, "'and who hadn't been arrested on bills which he'd given a friend "'and for which he'd received nothing whatsoever, not a fraction.' "'Oh, it's always the cry,' said Walker. "'I can't see the use on it, and that's what makes me so wild. "'Why, I should have a much better opinion of an individual "'if he'd say it once in an honourable and gentlemanly manner "'as he'd done everybody he possibly could. "'Aye, to be sure,' interposed the horse-dealer, "'with whose notions of bargains and sale the axiom perfectly coincided. "'So should I.' The young gentleman, who had given rise to these observations, was on the point of offering a rather angry reply to those sneers, but the rising of the young man before noticed, and of the female who had been sitting by him to leave the room, interrupted the conversation. She had been weeping bitterly, and the noxious atmosphere of the room acting upon her excited feelings and delicate frame rendered the support of her companion necessary as they quitted it together.
There was an air of superiority about them both, and something in their appearance so unusual in such a place that a respectful silence was observed, until the whirr and bang of the spring door announced that they were out of hearing. It was broken by the wife of the ex-fruiterer. "'Poor creature!' said she, quenching a sigh in a rivulet of gin and water. "'She's very young. She's a nice-looking woman, too,' added the horse-dealer. "'What's he in for, Ikey?' inquired Walker of an individual who was spreading a cloth with numerous blotches of mustard upon it on one of those tables, and whom Mr. Gabriel Parsons had no difficulty in recognising as the man who called upon him in the morning. "'Boy,' responded the factotum, "'it's one of the rummiest things you uh, ever heard on. He came in here last Wednesday, when, by the by, he's going over the water to-night. How's ever?' That's neither here nor there. You see, I've been a-going backwards and forwards about his business, and I managed to pick up some of his story from the servants and them, uh, and so far as I can make out, it seems to be some of this here effect. Oh, cut it short, old fellow, interrupted Walker, who knew from former experience that he of the top boots was neither very concise nor intelligible in his narratives. Oh, let me alone replied Ikey, and I'll wound up and made my lucky in five seconds. Ah, you see a young gentleman and his father, so I'm told, mind ye, and the father of the young woman, have always been on the very bad out-of-out regular knock-me-down sort of terms, but somehow or another, when he was a-visiting at some gentlefolk's house, as he knowed at college, he came into contact with the young lady— he seed her several times, and then he up and said he'd keep company with her, as is, if so be as she was uh, agreeable. Well, she was as sweet upon him as he was upon her, and so oh, I suppose they made it all right, for they got married about six months afterwards, unbeknown, mind ye, to his two fathers, leastways so I am told. When they heard of it, my eye, there was such a combustion. Starvation was the very least that was to be done to him. The young gentleman's father cut him off with a bob, cause he cut himself off with a wife, and the young lady's father, he behaved even worser and more unnatural, for he not only blowed her up dreadful and swore he'd never see her again, but he employed a chap, as I knows, and as you knows, Mr. Walker, a precious sight too well, to go about and buy up the bills and them things on which the young husband, thinking his governor had come round again, had raised the vin just to blow himself on vin for the time, besides which he made all the interest he could to set other people again him. Consequence was that he'd paid as long as he could, but things he never expected to have to meet till he'd had time to turn himself round come fast upon him, and he was nabbed. He was brought here, as I said afore, last Wednesday. I think there's about a half a dozen detainers who gain him downstairs now. I have been, added Ikey, in the profession these fifteen years, and I've never met with such vindictiveness afore. Poor creatures, explained the coal-dealer's wife once more, again resorting to the same excellent prescription for nipping a sigh in the bud. Oh, 
when they've seen as much trouble as I and my old man here have, they'll be as comfortable under it as we are. The young lady's a pretty creature, said Walker, only she's a little too delicate for my taste. Uh, there ain't enough of her. And uh, as to the young cove, he may be very respectable, and what's not, but he's too down in the mouth for me again. He ain't game. Game? exclaimed Ikey, who had been altering the position of a green-handled knife and fork at least a dozen times in order that he might remain in the room under the pretext of having something to do. He's a game enough, and there's anything to be fierce about. But who could be game, as you call it, Mr. Walker, with a pale young creature like that hanging about him? It's enough to drive any man's eye into his boots to see him together. And no mistake at all about it. I never shall forget her first coming here. He wrote to her on the Thursday to come. I know he did, cause I took the letter. Uncommon fidgety he was all day, to be sure, and in the evening he goes down into the office, and he says to Jacob, says he, Sir, can I have the loan of a private room for a few minutes this evening, without incurring any additional expense, uh, just to see my wife in? says he. Jacobs looked as much as to say, strike me bountiful if you ain't one of the modest sort. But, as the gentleman who had been in the back parlour had just gone out, and he had paid for it for that day, he says, "'Very grave, sir,' says he, "'it's again our rules to let private rooms to our lodgers on gratis terms, but,' says he, "'for a gentleman I don't mind breaking them for once.' So then he, he turns round to me, and he says, "'Ikey, put two mole candles in the back parlour, and charge them to this gentleman's account, which I did. Well, by and by, a acne coach comes up the door, and there was, sure enough, was a young lady wrapped up in a opera cloak, as it might be, and all alone. But I opened the gate that night, so I went up when the coach come, and, and he was a-waiting at the parlour door, and wasn't he a-trembling neither. The poor creature see him, and could hardly walk to meet her. "'Oh, Harry,' she says, "'that it should have come to this and all for my sake,' says she, putting her hand upon his shoulder. So he puts his arm round her pretty little waist, and leading her gently away into the room, so that he might be able to shut the door, he says, so kind and soft-like, "'Why, Kate,' says he. "'Here's the gentleman you want,' said Ikey abruptly breaking off his story and introducing Mr. Gabriel Parsons to the crestfallen Watkins Tottle, who at that moment entered the room. Watkins advanced with a wooden expression of passive endurance, and accepted the hand which Mr. Gabriel Parsons held out. "'I want to speak to you,' said Gabriel, with a look strongly expressive of his dislike of the company. Uh, "'This way.' replied the imprisoned one, leading the way to the front drawing-room, where rich debtors did the luxurious at the rate of a couple of guineas a day. "'Well, here I am,' said Mr. Watkins, as he sat down on the sofa, and, placing the palms of his hands on his knees, anxiously glanced at his friend's countenance. "'Yes, and here you're likely to be,' said Gabriel coolly, as he rattled the money in his unmentionable pockets, and looked out of the window. "'What's the amount uh, what it costs?' inquired Parsons, after an awkward pause. "'Have you any money?' Nine and sixpence halfpenny. Mr. Gabriel Parsons walked up and down the room for a few seconds before he could make up his mind to disclose the plan he had formed. 
He was accustomed to drive hard bargains, but he was always most anxious to conceal his avarice. At length he stopped short and said, "'Tottle, you owe me fifty pounds.' "'I do?' "'And from all I see, I infer that you are likely to owe it to me.' "'I—I I fear I am.' "'Though you have every disposition to pay me if you could.' "'Oh, certainly.' "'Then?' said Mr. Gabriel Parsons. "'Listen, is my proposition. You know my way of old. Accept it, yes or no. I will or I won't. I'll pay the debt and costs, and I'll lend you ten pounds more, which, added to your annuity, will enable you to carry on the war well. If you'll give me a note of hand to pay me one hundred and fifty pounds within six months after you're married to Miss Lillerton. My dear, stop a minute on one condition.' and that is that you propose to Miss Lillerton at once. At once? My dear Parsons, consider. It's for you to consider, not me. She knows you well from reputation, though she did not know you personally till lately. Notwithstanding all her maiden modesty, I think she'd be devilish glad to get married out of hand with as little delay as possible. My wife has sounded her on the subject, and she has confessed. What? Well, what? Eagerly interrupted the enamoured Watkins. Why? replied Parsons, to say exactly what she has confessed will be rather difficult, because she's only spoken in hints and so forth, but my wife, who is no bad judge in these cases, declared to me that what she had confessed was as good as to say that she was not insensible of your merits, in fact, that no other man should ever. Mr. Watkins Tottle rose hastily from his seat and rang the bell. "'What's that for?' inquired Parsons. "'I want to send the man for the bill-stamp,' replied Mr. Watkins Tottle. "'Then you made up your mind?' "'I have,' and they shook hands most cordially. The note of hand was given, the debt and costs were paid, Ikey was satisfied for his trouble, and the two friends soon found themselves on that side of Mr. Solomon Jacobs' establishment, on which most of his visitors were very happy, and when they found themselves once again to wit the outside.' "'Now,' said Mr. Gabriel Parsons, as they drove to Norwood together, "'you shall have an opportunity to make the disclosure to-night, and mind you speak out, Tottle.' Uh, "'I will, I will,' replied Watkins valorously. "'How I should like to see you two together,' ejaculated Mr. Gabriel Parsons. "'What fun!' And he laughed so long and so loudly that he disconcerted Mr. Watkins Tottle, and frightened the horse. "'There's Fanny and your intended walking about on the lawn,' said Gabriel, as they approached the house. "'Mind your eyes, Tottle.' Uh, "'Never fear,' replied Watkins resolutely, as he made his way to the spot where the ladies were walking. "'Oh, here's Mr. Tottle, my dear,' said Mrs. Parsons, addressing Miss Lillerton. The lady turned quickly round and acknowledged his courteous salute, with the same sort of confusion that Watkins had noticed on their first interview, but with something like a slight expression of disappointment or carelessness. "'Did you see how glad she was to see you?' whispered Parsons to his friend. "'Why, I, I really thought she looked as if she would rather have seen somebody else,' replied Tottle. "'Pah! Nonsense!' whispered Parsons again. It's always the same with the women, young or old. They never show how delighted they are to see those whose presence makes their hearts beat. It's the way with the whole sex, and no man should have lived to your time without knowing it. Fanny confessed it to me when we were first married over and over again. See what it is to have a wife? Well, certainly, whispered Tottle, whose courage was vanishing fast. Well, now, 
you better begin to pave the way said parsons who having invested some money in the speculation assumed the office of director yes yes i i will presently replied tottle greatly flurried say something to a man urged parsons again confound it pay her a compliment can't you no not till after dinner replied the bashful tottle anxious to postpone the evil moment well gentlemen said mrs parsons you are really very polite you stay away the whole morning after promising to take us out and when you do come home you stand whispering together and take no notice of us we were talking of the business my dear which detained us this morning replied parsons looking significantly at tottle oh dear me how very quickly the morning has gone said miss lillerton referring to the gold watch which was wound up on state occasions whether it required it or not Oh, i think it has passed very slowly mildly suggested tottle that's right bravo whispered parsons indeed said miss lillerton with an air of majestic surprise i can uh, only impute it to my unavoidable absence from your society madam said watkins and that of mrs parsons during this short dialogue the ladies had been leading the way to the house what the deuce did you stick fanny into that last compliment for inquired parsons as they followed together it quite spoiled the effect oh it really would have been too broad without it replied watkins tottle much too broad he's mad parsons whispered his wife as they entered the drawing-room mad from modesty dear me ejaculated the lady i never heard such a thing you'll find we have quite a family dinner mr tottle said mrs parsons when they sat down to table miss lillerton is one of us and we of course we make no stranger of you mr watkins tottle expressed a hope that the parsons family never would make a stranger of him and wished internally that his bashfulness would allow him to feel a, a little less like a stranger himself take off the covers martha said mrs parsons directing the shifting of the scenery with great anxiety the order was obeyed and a pair of boiled fowls with tongue and etc were displayed at the top and a fillet of veal at the bottom on one side of the table two green sauce tureens with labels of the same were setting to each other in a green dish and on the other was a curried rabbit in a brown suit turned up with lemon miss lillerton my dear said mrs parsons uh, shall i assist you well thank you no i i think i'll trouble mr tottle watkins started trembled helped the rabbit and broke a tumbler the countenance of the lady of the house which had been all smiles previously underwent an awful change oh, i'm extremely sorry stammered watkins assisting himself to curry and parsley and butter in the extremity of his confusion and not the least consequence replied mrs parsons in a tone which implied that it was of the greatest consequence possible directing aside the researches of the boy who was groping under the table for the bits of broken glass i presume said miss lillerton that mr tottle is aware of the interest which bachelors usually pay in such cases a dozen glasses for one is the lowest penalty mr gabriel parsons gave his friend an admonitory tread on the toe here was a clear hint that the sooner he ceased to be a bachelor and emancipated himself from such penalties the better mr watkins tottle viewed the observation in the same light and challenged mrs parsons to take wine with a degree of presence of mind which under all the circumstances was really extraordinary miss lillerton 
said Gabriel. May I have the pleasure? I shall be most happy. Tottle, will you assist Miss Lillerton and pass the decanter? Thank you. The usual pantomimic ceremony of nodding and sipping gone through. Tottle, were you ever in Suffolk? inquired the master of the house, who was burning to tell one of his seven stock stories. No, responded Watkins, adding, by way of a saving clause, but I had been in Devonshire. Ah, replied Gabriel, it was in Suffolk that a rather singular circumstance happened to me many years ago. Did you ever happen to hear me mention it? Mr. Watkins Tottle had happened to hear his friend mention it some four hundred times. Of course, he expressed great curiosity, and evinced the utmost impatience to hear the story again. Mr. Gabriel Parsons forthwith attempted to proceed, in spite of the interruptions to which, as our readers must frequently have observed, the master of the house is often exposed in such cases. We will attempt to give them an idea of our meaning. "'When I was in Suffolk,' said Mr. Gabriel Parsons, "'take off the fowls first, Martha,' said Mrs. Parsons. "'I, I beg your pardon, my dear.' "'When I was in Suffolk,' resumed Mr. Parsons, with an impatient glance at his wife, who pretended not to observe it, which is now years ago, business led me to the town of Bury St. Edmunds. I had to stop at the principal place in my way, and therefore, for the sake of convenience, I travelled in a jig. I left Sudbury one dark night. It was winter time, about nine o'clock. The rain poured in torrents, the wind howled among the trees that skirted the roadside, and— I was obliged to proceed at a foot-pace, for I could hardly see my hand before me, it was so dark. Uh, John, interrupted Mrs. Parsons in a low, hollow voice, uh, don't spill that gravy. Fanny, said Parsons impatiently, I wish you defer these domestic reproofs to some more suitable time. Really, my dear, these constant interruptions are very annoying. Oh, my dear, I didn't interrupt you, said Mrs. Parsons. "'But, my dear, you did interrupt me,' remonstrated Mr. Parsons. "'How very absurd you are, my love. I must give directions to the servants. I am quite sure that if I sat here and allowed John to spill the gravy all over the new carpet, you'd be the first to find fault when you saw the stain to-morrow morning.' "'Well,' continued Gabriel, with a resigned air, as if he knew there was no getting over the point about the carpet, "'I was just saying, it was so dark.' that I could hardly see my hand before me. The road was very lonely, and I assure you, Tottle, uh, this was a device to arrest the wandering attention of that individual, which was distracted by a confidential communication between Mrs. Parsons and Martha, accompanied by the delivery of a large bunch of keys. I assure you, Tottle, I became somehow impressed with a sense of the loneliness of my situation. A pie to your master, interrupted Mrs. Parsons, again directing the servant. Now, pray, my dear, remonstrated uh, Parsons once more, very pettishly. Mrs. P. turned up her hands and eyebrows, and appealed in dumb show to Miss Lillerton. As I turned a corner of the road, resumed Gabriel, the horse stopped short, and I reared tremendously. I pulled up jumped out, ran to his head, and found a man lying on his back in the middle of the road, with his eyes fixed on the sky. I thought he was dead, but no, he was alive, and there appeared to be nothing the matter with him. He jumped up, and putting his hand on his chest, fixed upon me the most earnest gaze you can imagine, and exclaimed, "'Pudding here, 
said Mrs. Parsons. "'Oh, it's no use!' exclaimed the host, now rendered desperate. "'Here, Tottle, a glass of wine. It's useless to attempt relating anything when Mrs. Parsons is present.' This attack was received in the usual way. Mrs. Parsons talked to Miss Lillerton, and at her behalf, expatiated on the impatience of men generally, hinted that her husband was peculiarly vicious in this respect, and wound up by insinuating that she must be one of the best tempers that ever existed, or she never could put up with it. Really, what she had to endure sometimes was more than any one who saw her in everyday life could by possibility suppose. The story was now a painful subject, and therefore Mr. Parsons declined to enter into any details, and contented himself by stating that the man was a maniac who had escaped from a neighbouring madhouse. The cloth was removed, and ladies soon afterwards retired, and Miss Lillerton played the piano in the drawing-room overhead, very loudly for the edification of the visitor. Mr. Watkins Tottle and Mr. Gabriel Parsons sat chatting comfortably enough, until the conclusion of the second bottle, when the latter, in proposing an adjournment to the drawing-room, informed Watkins that he had concerted a plan with his wife for leaving him, and Miss Lillerton alone, soon after tea. "'I say,' said Tottle, as they went upstairs, "'don't you think it would be better if we were to put it off till to-morrow?' "'Don't you think it would be much better if I had left you in that wretched hole I found you in this morning?' "'reported Parsons, bluntly. "'Well, well, I only made a suggestion,' said poor Watkins Tottle, with a deep sigh. "'Tea was soon concluded, and Miss Lillerton, drawing a small work-table on one side of the fire, "'and placing a little wooden frame upon it, something like a miniature clay mill without the horse, "'was soon busily engaged in making a watch-guard with brown silk. "'God bless me!' exclaimed Parsons, starting up with a well-feigned surprise. "'I've forgotten those confounded letters. Tottle, I know you'll excuse me.' If Tottle had been a free agent, he would have allowed no one to leave the room on any pretense except himself. As it was, however, he was obliged to look cheerful when Parsons quitted the apartment. He had scarcely left when Martha put her head into the room with, "'Please, ma'am, you're wanted.' Mrs. Parsons left the room, shut the door carefully after her, and Mr. Watkins Tottle was left alone with Miss Lillerton. For the first five minutes there was a dead silence. Mr. Watkins Tottle was thinking how he should begin, and Miss Lillerton appeared to be thinking of nothing. The fire was burning low. Mr. Watkins Tottle stirred it and put some coals on. <clears throat> coughed Miss Lillerton. Mr. Watkins Tottle thought the fair creature had spoken. "'I beg your pardon?' said he. "'Eh? I, I, I thought you spoke. No. Oh, there are some books on the sofa, Mr. Tottle, if you'd like to look at them,' said Miss Lillerton, after the lapse of another five minutes. Uh, "'No, thank you,' returned Watkins, and then he added, with a courage which was perfectly astonishing even to himself, "'Madam, that is, Miss Lillerton, I wish to speak to you.' "'To me?' said Miss Lillerton, letting the silk drop from her hands, and sliding her chair back a few paces. "'Speak to me?' "'To you, madam, and on the subject of the state of your affections.' The lady hastily rose, and would have left the room, but Mr. Watkins Tottle gently detained her by the hand, and, holding it as far from him as the joint length of their arms would permit, he thus proceeded. "'Pray, 
do not uh, misunderstand me or, or suppose that i am led to address you after so short an acquaintance by any feeling of my own merits for merits i have none which could give me a claim to your hand i hope you will acquit me of any presumption when i explain that i have been acquainted through mrs parsons with the state that is that mrs parsons has told me at least not mrs parsons but here watkins began to wander but miss lillerton relieved him am i to understand mr tottle that mrs parsons has acquainted you with my feeling uh, my affection i i mean my respect for an individual of the opposite sex she has then what inquired miss lillerton averting her face with a, a girlish air what could induce you to seek such an interview as this what can your object be how can i promote your happiness mr tottle End of chapter ten part two of Tales from Sketches by Boz by Charles Dickens Recorded by David Lazarus